don't cats have an extra thing? They've got these, but then there's something the back here. Yeah. yeah, the up top oh, guy. Oh, um, the dew, the dew claw. It's called the dew claw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a dew claw is like the the bonus the bonus claw. And dogs, they call them that. Yeah. yeah. What's the deal with the dew claw? Hey, listeners, thanks for sticking in with us through a month of heavy, somber theme music. Now, we're going to have a lot more fun. Why do geese make bees? Does a bumblebee sneeze? Can a person eat trees? Can a polar bear freeze? Is a kidney stone kind of like a pearl in a clam? Well, I don't know. Ask Sam. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown, and I'm here in studio with Hannah McCarthy. Hiya, Sam. And Taylor Quimby. Well, hello there. Hannah McCarthy, who is now host of her own podcast. That's true. Co-host. Co-host of Nick Capodice. Of the fabulous Civics 101. Shout out. All right. So should we just jump into the questions? (laughs) I guess so. Okay. All right. Hi. My name is Karina, and I'm calling from the beautiful Door County, Wisconsin, also known as the Cape Cod of the Midwest, if you'd like to think that. Um, I actually was just listening to one of your Ask Sam podcasts, um, and you guys were talking about um, the difference between hair and fur in dogs, and it got me thinking if keratin is also creating pangolin scales, is that what makes the hair on insects, for example? Because I know that there's some insects that have hairs of some type. Um, and then also, what composes the pubescent on plants? Some plants have what look like hairs. What are those made up of? Is it also keratin? Um, thanks so much. Did she just say pubescence? <laughs> it sounded like it. What is that? <laughs> That's not... That didn't sound like the way I think that word is used. Is that what it's called? Like when fuzz? When plants are fuzzy? Hold on, we should recap for listeners here. So in a previous Ask Sam... We discovered the dog hair and human hair are made from keratin, which is a protein that also makes up fingernails, claws, horns, quills, like a million other things, pangolin scales. Uh, and so what Karina wants to know is whether or not insect hairs and plant fuzz are also made of keratin. I can't imagine that plant fuzz is keratin. I don't think so either. Yeah. Hey, Sam, uh, FYI, we're, we're doing something a little different this time. We're going to hear all the questions and then we're going to come back and get all the answers. Uh, why? You'll see. Just wait. Hi there. Um, my name is Karina. Oh, she's back. I am curious to know. I know that most mammals, and I'm pretty sure amphibians, get tumors um, and cancer, I think. I'm not entirely sure about the cancer, but I know for sure tumors. And I was wondering if insects get tumors. Um, and if they don't, do they have an equivalent to that? Um, yeah, thanks so much. Cancer is just a form of accelerated cell growth, right? A tumor is just is just cells that are dividing uncontrollably. Yeah. So, probably. Probably. <laughs> on the flip side, though, I don't think, you know, if you've got bugs that live on the um, spectrum of days seems like it would be unlikely that they would die of cancer rather than, like, die of being smacked by a human hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say no. Sam, you just sound like you're just betting now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ask Sam to gesticulate wildly. I want to know how Dor got the Cape Cod of the Midwest nickname. That is my Ask Sam, Sam. Is it a sandbar, just like Cape Cod? That's a great question. Maybe the Kennedys have a compound out there, so they named it them. That could do it. All right, moving on. Hi, Sam and 
Time and Company. This is Karina calling from Door County, Wisconsin, yet again. Surprise, surprise. Um, you know, I just want to say thank you for doing this really fun and educational segment on your show. Um, what came first, the chakalaka or the turkey? Thank you so much. Chakalaka? Chakalaka? I've never heard of a chakalaka. Googling. Googling. The first step to answering any Ask Sam question. Uh, <clears throat> large chicken-like bird of Mexico and Central America, the plain chakalaka reaches the United States only in southern Texas. Its name comes from its sound, uh, the a, a raucous call. <laughs> Boom, chakalaka. Boom. Boom, chakalaka. <laughs> So, so her question is, which came first, evolutionarily speaking, yeah. the chakalaka or the turkey? I'm going to say which one looks more like a dinosaur? Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Although, actually, I would vote chakalaka. I would Something vote turkey. About, would you vote turkey? Because it's bigger and and things like, get smaller. Yeah. Yeah. I think. <laughs> okay, but what about this? So, there's a bazillion turkeys. The turkey is like a great generalist, right? Like it's all over the place. Right. And the chakalaka might be more specific and regionalized. And what if? The chakalaka then evolved into a more generalist turkey and then spread out all over the place, but in one specific place, the chakalaka still I, I would I guess it's the, the other, other way. way around. Yeah, you've got a generalist, and then there's a species that hangs out in a specific spot, and it finds a niche and, and specializes. Mm-hmm. One more. I wonder who it's from. Hi, Sam and company. Um, this is Karina. Wait a second. From the wonderful Door County, Wisconsin. Cape Cod of the Midwest. Um, and I'm a wetland scientist. Oh. And mollusk shells in wetlands tend to be a lot more delicate and easier to break than those in the ocean. Um, and we were talking about it, and we were wondering if it has to do with the fact that ocean life is more tough and therefore they have to use more energy to make tougher shells or if it's just because those mollusks can just make stronger shells because they've got more of different resources available. Thank you so much. Hmm. I feel like we could hmm. pontificate on this one a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I also feel like she may have provided us with a pretty solid um, hypothesis there. Right. Well, which, wait, which one do you think is a solid hypothesis? Because she provided us with two. She said that there would be different materials in the ocean that they could be making their shells with. And so just the resources available means that they make better shells. So it seems to me like, yeah, like the ocean's full of stuff that runs off the land and then accumulates in the ocean, which is why salt water is salty. And so there's more stuff for them to make things out of versus like a a wetland has just, you know, it's only got the stuff running from the hills that are around it as opposed to all of the world. Well, and there would be all sorts of different types of things with shells in both freshwater and in the ocean. So what you'd have to do is do the, sh- do the shell hardness on average of ocean mollusks. Uh, are they tougher? Because there's going to there's gonna be some that are have lighter shells typically, right, and some that have thicker based off the type of species. But I know what she's talking about. Like, you know, Wisconsin's pretty similar to around here. And, like, those little snails you find in the woods and, in the, in like, vernal pools, mm-hmm. they are very fragile. You can just, like, squish them with your fingers and their shell will crack. Um, which, you know, I shouldn't admit that I don't. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. Whoa, over here, a gas. Yeah. <laughs> but so it does seem like that's true. What, what about this possibility that there's something very specific about the mollusks in Door County, mm-hmm. which we have heard is wonderful, mm-hmm. um, but we don't know about the quality of their water and how that might affect their mollusks. 
Didn't she say she was a water scientist? Yeah. We should just call her and ask her. We should yeah. call her back. <laughs> I love dialing sounds. Hello. Hey, Karina. Hi. You've got the outside in crew on your phone. Hey. Hey, Karina. Hi. Do you have any do you do you remember your questions? Um I remember like the basic like idea of my questions, but not like exactly what I asked. Okay. Can can we just ask you a question before we do any of this? <laughs> sure. Pubescent. <laughs> That's that's really the word for no, hairs no, no, on no, a no. plant? No. Pubescence. Yeah. I don't know about that. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. When I first learned it, it made me really uncomfortable, and that's why it stuck with me. Yeah. And now you use it all the time to make other people uncomfortable? <laughs> and, and, now, well, and now I just use it because it's like when you're describing a plant, that's just what you say. You just say pubescence. You don't say hairs. I don't know why. I had a similar experience with hanging out with a bi- plant biologist who talked about dehiscence, which, like, don't ever Google the word dehiscence because it can also mean, like, when boils open and, like, <gasps> and, like oh, pus comes out. God. And I was just like, oh, God, what is what is this? <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's not something you want to see on WebMD. No. No, definitely not. Okay, so after a quick break, no more guessing, no more goofing off. Maybe a little goofing off. We're going to get to the bottom to all of these important questions, including the most pressing one. Why is Door County the Cape Cod of the Midwest? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so why don't we start with mollusk shells? So so you noted, and I've observed this too, that when you're in a wetland, um, the, little, the little shellfish that you find in there have really, really thin shells. So to answer this question, I got a gentleman named uh, Frank Horn, who is a recently retired biologist who taught at Texas State University. And it turns out the shell question has to do with acidity. In freshwater, the pH, uh, the acidity is usually close to a 7 and sometimes a little bit below. Whereas the ocean, the pH is more alkaline or basic, around 8.3 or 8.4. So you correctly noted that there's more resources available in the ocean. So that's, that's the calcium carbonate that mollusks use to make their shells. And there's a lot more of that in the ocean. But the other thing the ocean has going for it is that the pH is more basic. And and so you know how, do you know how mollusks make their shells? No, not really. I don't really know very much about mollusks. Well, it is a mysterious process because it's really hard to observe because it's inside a shell. Uh, but <laughs> But what they do is they create like a little, what they call it is a scaffolding of material. And on that material, they secrete a bunch of amino acids that sort of attract the calcium out of the water so that it just deposits on that structure that they've laid down. Um, and, and so it's dependent on the chemistry of the water. And so if the water is basic, it's easier for them to attract that calcium. And if there's ah. more calcium, it's easier for them to attract it. So um, because ocean water has a higher pH, it's easier for them to build a shell. Uh, and, it, and that works in tandem with the fact that there's more calcium to, to, for them to access. So what you're saying is that a mollusk would have a really hard time building a shell in, say, a pool. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no calcium carbonate. No, not any, any indeed, probably. Mm. I was saying, I've observed this too, that you can, like, those little, those little fingernail 
clams that you find in vernal pools, you can literally just squish them in your finger, even though they have a shell, which feels bad to admit to doing. Yeah, it's not cool, man. Um, if it's zebra mussels, I don't feel quite as bad about it. Because ah. so, the little ones, you can just squish, 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 and you're like, goodbye, invasive. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a great way of, when you're kind of bored out there. Squish and zebra muscles. That makes me sound like a murderer. It's worse if you say squish, squish, squish while you do it. <laughs> All right. Back to pubescence here. So the question was, uh, are plant and insect hairs also made from keratin? Or am I getting that right? Is that the question? Yeah. 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 Um, or are they made from something else? Uh, and the answer is something else. Kind of what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the case of insect hairs, they're made from the same thing that their exoskeleton is made of, which is something called chitin. Um, And here's Cole Cole Gilbert, who's an entomologist at Cornell University. Keratin is a long protein that is composed of individual amino acids that are linked like beads on a string. And they wrap around and coil and make this helical shape into long fibers. And the fibers are linked to each other to kind of hold them together. And chitin is similar in that general structure, except that the beads on the string are sugar. So it's a carbohydrate hmm. instead of a protein. Interesting. And and plants do this do the same thing. They the building block they use is also a carbohydrate. It's just one that you're familiar with. It's cellulose. So their their hairs, which are called uh, trichomes, are uh, made of the same thing that their body's made out of. So so I was thinking about this. Their hairs are really actually more like fingers than hairs. <laughs> They're just like protuberances. Thousands of tiny fingers. Just yeah. Wow. In the creepy. breeze. That's creepier very than weird. the word pubescent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but basically, all of these uh, organisms, we've all come up with a similar strategy, which is we're going to make these really fibrous, hard to digest materials. We've just used different building blocks to get there. Mm-hmm. And the thing that differentiates trichomes from animal and insect hairs is that they're also little chemical factories. So, so for example, if you ever Google trichomes, mostly what you find is uh, pictures of uh, marijuana plants uh, because the trichomes are where all of the THC gets manufactured inside the plant. Um, and so Rob Last, who's a, a plant biologist at Michigan State University, uh, he's really into trichomes generally, and uh, here's why. It's amazing. Uh, the, you know, these creatures sit out there and take it from the environment and their only protection is structural and chemical, and so they make these crazy chemicals, and many of them are, are you, you know, they're poisons, and many of them are then turned into drugs, you know, um, anti-malarials, preservatives, that's what uh, hops. That's why the British uh, started heavily hopping beer back during the days of, you know, the empire. I think of them as the mad chemist or the mad biochemist of, of, of the plant. I wish my hair could do that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a Medusa thing, you know. <laughs> Watch out. Um, so, so they're not really like hair. They're not keratin. They're more like fingers. And they produce all the crazy chemicals that we then extract from them to do our weird human things. Huh. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay. Chakalaka time. 
Karina, if you had to guess, which would you say is older, evolutionarily speaking, the turkey or the chakalaka? I want to say chakalaka, but for some reason, I feel like I'm going to be surprised and it's going to be turkey. I'm going to go with chakalaka. Did you, do you guys remember our guesses from, from our first round in the studio? I was team chakalaka. Yeah. You, I feel like I started on chakalaka and then switched to turkey. We were both team turkey. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, team chakalaka wins. <gasps> okay. <laughs> so so this is the this is the uh oh gosh uh, I'm not good with my phylogeny here it's but the 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 group of birds we're talking about are the galliform birds so we've got new world quails guinea fowl pheasants partridges turkeys grouse curassows guans mound builders brush turkeys waterfowl and ostrich and turkey are actually some of the the youngest, evolutionarily speaking, in this whole in this whole family tree. Um, the first ones to break off the family was the ostrich, but not long after that, you've got the crassidae branching off, which is what the chakalaka were, and that happens ninety million years ago, which is wait for it, the Cretaceous period. So the chakalaka is in fact as old as the dinosaurs. Wow. Oh. Well, you mean it. It is a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're saying, Sam. It is a living dinosaur. I mean, it's from the dinosaur era and also birds are dinosaurs. I don't know if I can. I don't know. <laughs> I switched to turkey initially because I thought, well, that looks more like a dinosaur yeah. than the chakalaka. The so. redneck stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Very prehistoric. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about uh, bug cancer. Yeah. Um, turns out bugs can get tumors. Uh, I very stridently suggested that because they live for such a short amount of time, they can't get cancer. Um, but but if a fruit, fruit fly can get a tumor, um, what does that say about cancer generally? Um, and so have you heard of pedo's paradox? No, I have not. Pedo's paradox is, so there was this observation made that bigger people tended to have higher rates of cancer. Like literally taller humans. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the more cells you have, the more likely you are to get cancer, which led scientists to assume that bigger animals, so whales and elephants and things like that, would also have higher rates of cancer. But when they went out to do the studies and determine the cancer rates of all these different animals, they found that there was absolutely no correlation between the animal's size and its cancer rate, um, which was called pedo's paradox. And the idea here is oh. that that any individual cell has like some statistical chance of messing up and starting to replicate itself uncontrollably. And so the more cells you have, the more chance of cancer you would have had, but yeah. it didn't work out. Right. Uh, and also, this this lack of a relationship is true not only of size, but also irrespective of lifespan. We heard about this from Pavel Mahalik, an associate professor at the Virginia Tech School of Veterinary Medicine. So if we, uh, if we had the same cancer risk per cell, per uh, time unit as mice, none of us would make it out of the womb alive, let alone reach puberty. Once again, puberty comes up in this. Mm. Ask Sam. Yeah. <laughs> it's a part of life. It's a part of life. <laughs> uh, so, so, in fact, some insects do grow tumors, uh, and, and the very nature of why some things get cancer and other things don't still seems to continue to be a bit of a mystery to us. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. The circle of life. <laughs> 
So um, that's what we've got for you. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, those really were awesome answers to questions that I forgot because I asked such a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) But it was super interesting. Oh, wait, here's a question. Why is Door County the Cape Cod of the Midwest? Um, because a lot of people come up there and they literally treat it like it's Cape Cod. And it's kind of got a, like, I've never been to Cape Cod, <laughs> but it's, but it's got a lot of shoreline. Um, there's like a lobster roll shop and we're like, um, there's not lobsters in Lake Michigan, <laughs> so you guys, um, this is not Cape Cod. Like you can try as hard as you want, but it's not Cape Cod. It's closer to the <laughs> Arctic than it is to the beach. Yeah. But that's not as fun for vacationers. Definitely right. not. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karina. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown, and Taylor Quimby, with help from Han McCarthy, Justine Paradise, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is the director of relations with Door County, Wisconsin. If you have a question for Ask Sam, you can still call the hotline, of course. The number is 1-844-GO-OTTER. And you can try flooding the voicemail box, but just as a heads up, that tactic has been tried already. There are lots of ways of getting in touch with us. We're on Twitter. I'm at SamEBNHPR. We are at Outside In Radio. And you can subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter at our website, outsideinradio.org. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Uh-huh.